Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We are now in our God is Able Sermon Series. In this life, it is so easy for us to settle for the ordinary. We wake up and typically have the same routine every single day. Yet our God created us to live an extraordinary life. There is no one in the world exactly like you, and God wants you to reach your full potential. This involves us growing deeper and deeper into Christ while following Him every day. His plans for us are immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's trust Jesus and live out our extraordinary lives. Let's listen in. Well, I love moments of anticipation, and I call these moments of anticipation, these moments when you know something really, really big is about to happen, when you know that something really, really significant is getting ready to happen. And one of those seasons is up on us for some of you because it is approaching your favorite season. I'm not talking about Thanksgiving. I'm not talking about your birthday. I'm not talking about your anniversary, but college football season is up on us. And for a lot of you, uh, it is a season of great anticipation. There is a twinkle in your eye today, And there is happiness in your heart because this could be your year. It won't be for everyone, but right now it's level playing field. And everybody's thinking to themselves, this could be the year that we take it all. And there is a sense of anticipation that comes with that. It's a fantastic season. Speaking of seasons and holidays, these these moments bring us great anticipation. I was thinking about what it was like as a kid trying to go to bed on Christmas Eve. And there was was just a night you couldn't go to sleep any faster because there was anticipation about what was to happen the next morning with those presents that were to be opened. In fact, at my house, no joke, my kids go to bed on Christmas Eve than literally any of the 365 days of the year. I mean, they are just ready to go to bed that night. So much so my wife and I have thought about keeping our Christmas tree up all year round and just wrapping their presents every day and it just being daily things like, let's wake up and see what we have today. Oh, it's your backpack. Um, Bananas, you know, just things just to see if we could fool them to going to bed at a better pace every night. There's something about seasons that are just fun and create anticipation. I was thinking back about, I'm old enough and many of you are old enough to remember this as well. Remember the anticipation of Black Friday when Black Friday was an actual thing and you had to go wait at Best Buy at 4 a.m. to get the $69 DVD player. And now it's just comical. There's anticipation about Black Friday, but it's lost all the hype. There's excitement, but now in the comfort of your home on Thanksgiving Day, you can get the same priced goods as someone who is there, you know, waiting at 5 a.m. So we've kind of lost that anticipation. Maybe you're an athlete and you know that feeling of what it feels like to get ready to run out onto the field or to come out of the tunnel or the beginning of a starting line of a race, and there's an excitement around that. You know, sometimes on Sunday morning, I get so excited to be here. I just get here really early and wait on you. And I'm just thinking to myself, when are all these people going to get here? I'm excited. In fact, if you wake up on a Sunday morning really early and you're bored, just come on over and say hello. We'll put you to work. I'd love to hang out, grab a cup of coffee. Uh, there's just anticipation that I have about what God's going to do. And as we continue in this sermon series, God is Able, I believe that we need to do some personal inventory and take a hard look in our life and see, honestly, are we eager to see what God is going to do? Do we anticipate what God is going to do? Are we excited about what God's going to do? Because there's lots of areas in our life that we have a lot of anticipation about. But how about when it comes to the anticipation of what can and will happen because of the power of God? In the Bible, there are so many stories from start to finish that speak so beautifully about the power of God working in people's lives. And today is certainly the text that we're going to be unpacking is no exception. This is one of those texts that really kind of blows our mind about just how good God is and what he is able to do 
and how he involves us in this powerful work. So know that I'm so glad that you are here with us this morning. And as we pray, I hope that in your own heart this morning that you would pray for a sense of anticipation. God, what is it that you desire to do? What is it that you can do through your power? Show me that today and help me to be in alignment with what it is that you have for us this morning. So will you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for a powerful morning of worship already. And thank you, God, for what you do as we anticipate you. We know that you're always moving in power and that you yearn to involve us in this powerful work. So God, speak to our hearts today through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we give you all the praise and all the glory. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, open with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, you're going to see these words on the screen as well. You can hop on a mobile device as well. But this is one of what I think is the most, one of the most incredible moving in power moments that we see in the Bible. There are so many, but I pray that we be reminded of how God wants to involve us in this work as well. Because in Acts chapter 2 is when God sends the Holy Spirit, and it is amazing. This is an incredible story. And so I want to read to you some of this text this morning, picking up in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, all the way down through verse 8, and then I'm going to skip ahead to verse 11 through 13. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And then down to verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? And some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. So Acts chapter 2 picks up on the day of Pentecost, which is approximately 10 days after Jesus ascended back to heaven. And the day of Pentecost was a day of festival, a day of feast in Jerusalem. And particularly what they would celebrate was the first fruits of the harvest. And so if you can imagine, Jerusalem would have been overflowing with people from all over the first century world, all over the Middle East, who were coming to celebrate this first fruits of the day of Pentecost. And it says in verse 1 that they are all together in one place. So who's the they? Who is the writer of Acts talking about here? They are the disciples. This is the early disciples of Jesus, and it's about 120 people. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it'll tell us that there's about 120 of them. And suddenly in verse 2, this mighty rushing violent wind starts filling the house, and it's the Holy Spirit. They're all assembled together in this house, and the Holy Spirit descends, just like Jesus had promised was going to happen, and the Holy Spirit rests on them, and they start speaking in other languages. And when they start speaking in other languages, all of this crowd that has assembled in Jerusalem from various parts of the Middle East, they start hearing native tongues, and they start hearing the Word of God proclaimed in a language that they understand, and it causes them to be amazed. Now, again, the day of Pentecost was a day to celebrate harvest. And so they're celebrating things like wheat and grapes and olives. But as you'll see here in just a moment, there is a much more significant harvest than just crops <laughs> that is getting ready to 
be shown to us here in Jerusalem. And so that's where we pick back up in verse 14. So Peter stood up with the eleven, he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will see dream, dream dreams. And even on the servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter steps up and addresses the crowd, and he assures them that these 120 disciples are not intoxicated because they don't understand what's going on. But all of the observers didn't understand that the Holy Spirit had descended, and that's why they were speaking in these different languages. But Peter goes back to the prophet Joel, and he says, this is not new. This was something we anticipated. This is something that God showed us was going to happen because it's a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. And the prophet, the, the first century Jews would have known this, that the prophet Joel, you can go back and read this in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. He says that in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit. And when he does that, there would be signs and wonders. And that prophecy happened hundreds of years before this actually happened here in the first century. Joel was prophesying about the Holy Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit has always been. And God told us he was going to pour out his spirit, and that would lead to signs and wonders and dreams and visions, which has happened here in real time. But most significantly in the prophecy, what does it say in chapter 2, verse 21? And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel prophesied. Jesus was sent by God. The Holy Spirit is now here. And Peter now stands and proclaims to all of this crowd who has heard the teachings of God in a language that they understand. This is what he proclaims to them back in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter's sermon continues where he says, Jesus was a man, but he was fully God, and he was sent by God. He did miracles among you. If you were here last week, we talked about Jesus' first miracle of turning water into wine, one of the many miracles that Jesus performed. And he says, Jesus was handed over to you. And this was all a part of God's plan. This didn't take God by surprise. You put him to death on a cross. And when you put him to death on a cross, you thought the story was over. However, God raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. And Jesus being in a tomb was not going to be the final chapter. Joel knew it. The prophet Joel knew it. God, of course, knew it. The disciples now know it. <laughs> and Peter is standing in front of this crowd who have heard the message for the first time. And he's saying to them, I now want you to get it. I want you to understand how significant this is. In verse 29, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. 
seeing what was what to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. This song that we just sang is rooted in this verse. We are witnesses of it. He's saying all of us have seen it. And as you can imagine, it was a hard concept for people to understand that Jesus was raised from the dead, as it is to us as well. Because when people die, they usually stay dead. We don't have a lot of precedent for people dying and then coming back to life. He says, David, who fought Goliath, your ancestors, your neighbors, they have all died and they have tombs here in Jerusalem. But what made Jesus so different is that death was not final. God raised him from the dead, and Peter says, we have been witnesses to it. You may recall there was an interaction with Jesus and his disciples, Thomas being one of them, who questioned if Jesus was even resurrected. Is this really him? And what did Jesus say? Here's the hands. Here's my side. Feel free to stick your finger into the hole in my hand if you need to be reminded that I am, in fact, Jesus. He was crucified. He was put to death. But he was resurrected in the newness of life. And Peter continues in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. See, God made Jesus, Jesus is Lord. And there's no other name, Peter says, by which you can be saved. And this sermon led to such a dramatic response In first century Jerusalem, where thousands of people in the crowd responded then with, what do we need to do? And Peter shares the gospel, the gospel message of sin and being separated from God, that God sent Jesus in order to take away that sin, and that his blood is the atonement for our sin. And when you repent, you will be saved, and then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which just happened, by the way, and you saw the power and the wonder in that. And Peter and these 120 disciples saw just how able God is to move. And 3,000 people accepted the message of the gospel, and they were saved and baptized that day. And I think about the key verse at Rolling Hills Community Church, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. This is that in full display. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than anything that we could ever ask or imagine. And I see this story and I'm thinking about what would it have been like to be there on this day? I mean, this is some anticipation. This is exciting, isn't it? I mean, put yourself in the place of these 120 early disciples as they see this unfold. I mean, think about the atmosphere. Think about the vibe. Think about the energy. I mean, I think if I'm there, I'm I'm realizing I could probably run through a wall in this moment. Because it's just so incredibly powerful to see what God is doing. But do you know what? We don't have to wonder what that would be like to see God move in this way. Because this isn't just a story of back then. This is a story of today. We can see this. It may look different. It may not be exactly like it was unfolded here. But we can see it. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine? This is one of those moments. I certainly believe it because I have witnessed it and I have seen his goodness and his power on display. How do we know that God is able? What do we need to learn from this? Well, first of all, I hope that you'll take some notes and maybe reflect upon this throughout the course of this week. But God always moves in power. When God moves, he always moves in power. Back in verse 4, it says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. See, God always moves in power. And my friends, God's power is never small. God's power is never minuscule. God's power is never tiny. To live in the power of God, we have to know in our heart that he is able to do anything in his power. There is no sinner that is so vile and far from God that they cannot be saved. There is no marriage that is too far gone. There is no child that is too wayward. And there is no dream that is too complex. God is always moving in power. And the reality is we may not just be anticipating it. We may not be expecting it. And we may not be positioning ourselves in a place to where we will see it. So we have to trust that he always moves in power. I think about the lives that you and I live, and a lot of us have what I like to call all-in personalities. I know a lot of you really, really well, and you're like all-in people. You just go big at everything that you do. And you're just like, you know, why do something small when we can do it huge? Why do something tiny when we can do something minuscule? And we like to think about everything being really big and everything being really fantastic and everything being really, really powerful. I'm kind of the same way. Nothing wrong with that. We plan big, we dream big, and we hope that God will do big things as he tends to do when we trust him. But do we only think about that in our human realm or do we believe that God can do something really, really powerful when it comes to the spiritual realm? Because we do it from a human perspective all the time. I was reminded of this. I come from a family of people that just dream big and do big things. We had a family reunion a couple of weeks ago up in Kentucky and my aunt and cousin hosted this reunion. And these are two people who are infamous for kind of being all in. They just do everything really, really big. And so they were in charge of preparing all the food. And so they had smoked an entire pig for this reunion. I'm not talking like a couple pork tenderloins. I'm talking head to hoof, like the entire thing. And it was awesome. Now, there was a grand total of about 45 people at this reunion. And some of you that know nothing about smoked meat or proportions, you're thinking to yourself, I wonder if they had enough food for everybody. Um, The answer would be yes. There was enough meat for like 245 people. I mean, to the point that every attendee got 10 pounds, you know, of pork to take home. And the response from my family when I kind of made a comment on it was, and I quote, we made a lot of food, it's just what we do. Um, And we were bold and we were ready. If 200 people that we weren't expecting showed up at this reunion, we would have had pork for them. If you are a parent, you probably have, many of us, this all-in mindset when it comes to our kids as to how awesome they are, and they are. And you look at them, and you probably think of all the things they might do, and you should, because that's appropriate. We look at our kids, and we think to ourselves, you know, maybe one day they will play on that Little League World Series team like this one that we just had. Or maybe one day they'll be in the NFL, or maybe one day they'll get a full ride to Yale, or maybe one day they'll play violin at the Kennedy Center, or maybe one day they'll be on Broadway, or maybe one day they'll find a cure for cancer, or maybe one day they'll be president. Who knows? And all of those dreams are fine and well, but how certain can you be that any of those things is actually going to happen? Not very. 
You're not promised any certainty on those things. And so when it comes to our lives and the fact that we're all in, or when it comes to our families and the fact that we desire to be all in, nothing wrong with those things, but sometimes those things are just uncertain. However, what is certain is that God always moves in power. What is certain is that if we position ourselves, if we position our family, if we trust that God will show up in power in our lives, in the lives of our family, in our ministry, he will always do it if we ask him and if we trust him and if we invite him in. See, this is foilproof. The answer is already here and it's at our fingertips. God always moves in power, but what do we have to do? We have to position ourselves to see it. So the question at hand this morning is then, what best prepares you to say yes when God invites you into his work? What is it that best prepares you to say yes when God invites you into his work? Peter said yes. In verse 14, Peter stood up with the 11, he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. So how did Peter seize that moment? Was it Peter's educational background? Was it his skill set? Maybe it was his Enneagram. Maybe that's what helped him to be able to be ready in this moment? Not really, because go back to chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So after Jesus ascended back to heaven, Peter and the ten OG disciples, others, they go to the room. They keep in mind that their world has drastically changed, and what do they do in the moment? How do they respond Do they have a strategy session? Nope. Do they hire a life coach? Nope. Do they do some deep breathing and meditation? Maybe. We're not told that, but I don't know. We'll just go with no for now. Did they listen to some podcasts? No. Did they make everyone do a Myers-Briggs? Nope. Did they Zoom with a consultant? Nope. What did they do? They prayed. And it said they prayed constantly. They got on their faces before God, and they said, our world has drastically changed. There is uncertainty. There is change. There is unknown. Our Savior just ascended back to heaven, and that led them to do what our natural response should be as Christ followers day in and day out, to be people of prayer, to say, God, I need you. God, I cannot do this on my own. God, without you, I will quit. God, I know that you are all-powerful, and I'm called to ask you to move in my life and to move in my family and to move in all of these situations. Is there anybody that would be honest enough to say, I need to grow in my prayer life? I know I do. I do. And I encourage each other to grow in this. Let's find some space to pray together. When you hear about a friend who's going through something, don't promise him that you'll someday pray about it, but do it right there on the spot. In fact, your homework for this week is to become an on-the-spot prayer. And you're like, what does that mean? That if a need comes to your uh, purview this week, that instead of saying, I'll pray about that someday, how about looking your friend in the eye or looking your family member in the eye and saying, can we pray about that right now? And voice a prayer. In fact, I'll, I'll be really shocked if anybody tells you no. If you ask this week if somebody, if you can pray for them and they tell you no, you come back and tell me next week and I'll buy you an ice cream just to smooth it all over, okay? Just to say I'm I'm sorry for asking you to do something 
that didn't go so well. In fact, when you walk in these doors on a Sunday, my hope and my prayer is that you'll say, God, draw people to yourself through the power of the Holy Spirit. If there are people in this room that don't have that relationship with Christ, that they will know it. And in your boldness and in your obedience to take those steps of faith, to live in the power of God, we have to move out of the center. Our plans have to leave the center stage. Our agenda has to leave the center. And we have to keep what's most important central, and that's the resurrection. The message of Jesus is exactly what Peter did here, because the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. In his sharing, Peter kept coming back to the resurrection, and so should you and I. In verse 24, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter says it's all about the resurrection. I'm not going to lead you to some things that might work, I'm not going to give you some suggestions of things that might be helpful. No, I'm going to take you to the greatest story ever told. No greater event has ever occurred than that empty tomb, and that has the ability to have the greatest impact on our life more than anything else. And when Peter kept coming back to the resurrection, what happened? Verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter testifies to who Jesus is. The people heard the message, and it cut them to the heart. And that Greek word for cut them to the heart is karanuso. And it's the only occurrence in the New Testament, the only time that this word occurs, which is very, very significant, because that word literally means to prick violently meaning that the message of Jesus to these first century hearers was kind of a dagger. Sometimes we think the message of Jesus might have an impact. (laughs) Maybe Jesus can change someone. See, the message of Jesus cuts to the heart. And that word of God, as you see here on your screen, the word of God truly accomplishes more than you could ever imagine. When it's shared, it accomplishes more than you could ever imagine. And when it's feasted upon, it accomplishes something in our lives that it could never, we can never fully grasp. I notice on those days that I don't spend as much time feasting on the Word of God, everything about that day falls apart. My attitude is not where it needs to be. My actions aren't reflecting of what it needs to be. On the flip side of that, I have seen people who are very far from God who get drawn by the power of the Holy Spirit, and they start reading the Word of God, and they'll come and tell us these stories of there's something different about that book. <laughs> And you and I, as followers of Jesus, we know that Hebrews 4 says that the Word of God is sharp, it's alive, and it's more active than any two-edged sword. And this massive crowd responds to the apostles, what shall we do? What do we do in response to this Word? I believe when we're confronted with the reality of who Jesus is and what God has done and what God is currently doing, I'm not sure there's a better question that you and I could ever ask ourselves than what shall we do? Maybe if the Lord's working on your heart right now about something, maybe it's a personal struggle or maybe it's a being far from God or maybe it's just God's drawing you right now and you don't have that relationship with him. How about instead of trying to answer it from all the world's perspectives, how about just simply in a moment of humility saying, God, what do I need to do? What shall I do? Honestly, openly asking God, what do I need to do? And Peter replied to that poignant question, in a way that maybe you and I need to be reminded today. He says in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
That promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. What does that mean? It means that the message of Christ is good news that our world so desperately needs. It is the good news that you and I so desperately need. It is the good news that our world so desperately needs. Why? Because we're promised life. And we're promised the Holy Spirit. And we're promised the forgiveness of sins. But my friends, this wasn't just a first century promise. Peter said this is also a promise for the generations to come. This is a promise for your children. This is a promise for your grandchildren. This is a promise for your grandchildren's grandchildren. And for all of those who are far off, this is a promise that God has given us, that the good news of Jesus Christ truly meets our greatest need. God is saying to us today, I have a plan for you, and I want to use you. I want to use you in immeasurably more ways than you could ever ask or imagine as you trust my power and as you lean into me. I mean, lest we forget, who is delivering this sermon? Peter. Who was one of the most broken characters in Scripture? Peter. 53 days before this moment, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. Not 53 months, not 53 years. 53 days, so we're talking a month and change, before delivering this life-giving sermon where 3,000 people come to faith in Christ, Peter was denying even knowing Jesus. And so if you're sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, you know what, I'm probably too far gone for God to use me, you realize that that is a lie that the enemy has told you today. You are not too far gone. If you're struggling, you are a prime candidate for God to use. If you're broken, you are a prime candidate for God to use. If you're coming out of some destructive behaviors, you are a prime candidate for God to use. If you're somebody who will be honest and transparent and open about God working in your life, you are a prime candidate for someone that God wants to use. And Peter allowed the message to cut to his heart. And this message cut to the heart of these 3,000 people. And as the goodness of God was spoken over them, they realized that Jesus did in fact have a plan for our brokenness. And what God is looking for today is for men and women who will set aside their own agenda and who will follow him with that deep abiding commitment. And when you and I do that, what God does is he invites us into a realm that many of us have never experienced before. And if you've yet to experience that goodness of God, if you've yet to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, I hope and pray that today that will be your response, that you'll make a note on that card. There is a connection card in your hand right now where you can make a note that you want to talk to somebody about accepting Jesus Christ. You can write whatever phrase that you want to write to indicate to us and our prayer team that we can follow up with you. You can stick around after the service and talk to someone, but I hope that you hear the words of the sermon that literally launched the church into motion. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And this catalytic event launched an immeasurably more movement that we are now sitting here today because of the power of the Holy Spirit. What could God do today? What could God do if Rolling Hills Community Church in Nolensville said, you know what, starting today, I am going to trust his power like I've never trusted him before. What could God do in your life and your family if you said, you know what, instead of trying to make much of myself in the world's eyes, I'm going to make much of Jesus. I'm going to share the hope that this world so desperately needs. I'm going to wake up every morning and say, you know what, life is not about me. 
What can I do to point someone else to Jesus today? I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and say there are fantastic churches in our town. Other churches are not competitors. We're all on the same team. Praise God for what he's doing across the community of Nolansville and the United States of America and beyond. Or how about waking up every morning and saying, you know what, I have family and friends that don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ. And the truth is, if they don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ, they will spend an eternity separated from God. And they will spend an eternity in an awful place called hell. And I love them enough to tell them the truth. And so I'm going to lean into some of those hard conversations because I want them to know what's most important to me. And in turn, what I hope and pray will be most important to them. What could happen if God got a hold of our lives so much so where we would say, you know what, it's just second nature for me to trust his plan opposed to trusting myself. And when every obstacle comes my way, instead of trying to figure it out through my own mind, I start from a posture of prayer. And God, what is it that do you want to do? What could happen in our families? What could happen in our community if we spent more time in the Word of God and less time on Instagram? What could happen in my family if I spent more time just yearning for the Holy Spirit than yearning for the approval of other people? What could happen if I spent more time in prayer every day this year than I did last year? So that in every situation before I ever spoke a word, I would say, God, I need your wisdom. I need your direction, and I need your help. What would it look like to live with that kind of hope, that kind of excitement, that kind of anticipation? A heart that says, I cannot wait to see how God wants to use me today. I can't wait to see what God's going to do in our midst today. I can't wait to see the people that are going to come to faith in Christ at Rolling Hills Community Church today. I can't wait to see the marriages that are going to be saved. I can't wait to see the brokenness that is going to be healed because of the power of God. And my friends, I am praying so desperately that that will be my posture. I have a lot of room to grow. I have certainly not arrived. I am a work in progress. And I hope and pray that my life this time next year will reflect a deeper relationship with God than I currently even have. I'm praying that for you. I'm praying that your relationship with God would grow so exponentially this year that almost this time next year you would be unrecognizable. Now, you'll look the same. But that this time next year, maybe some of our attitudes would be completely different. And some of our agendas would be completely different. And perhaps even some of the plans that we have laid for our own life would be completely surrendered to the control of God. And that we would say, Lord, whatever it is that you desire to do in my life, I will be faithful. And I, of course, am praying that for our church. I'm praying that will be our story, that we will be a beacon of hope on a hill in Nolensville, Tennessee, that when people think about Rolling Hills Community Church, they won't think, oh, they just have a nice building, or oh, they do this, or they do that, or whatever the case might be, but that they will say, that's a place that trusts the power of God. And they are believing for God to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. I'm praying for my story. I'm praying that will be your story. And I'm praying that that will be our story. So how about this morning we get ready and say, God, what is it that you want to do? What is it that you want to do? Help me to see the vision that you have for my life, God, and help me to follow you. And most importantly, help me to trust your power. Your power is always at work. Help me to see it, help me to believe it, and help me to live in that today. 
Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.